What up, podcast people? Welcome to the Oasis Podcast here in person, live, but not really, because you are probably watching at a later date. <laughs> and, and by probably, I mean For sure. most Literally, definitely. Yeah, no one's Literally, watching this live. No one's well, watching it right now. We're experiencing it. They live, don't know, but... but we got a camera guy. Dylan <laughs> okay, is currently Dylan sitting is watching on the it floor. Live, you guys can't see him. You'll never see him. But I mean, unless he's in the podcast <laughs> or on Oasis or any time in public, then you'd see Dylan. But currently, I mean, there's during times the podcast, where they'll see him. Yeah, for, for sure. Yeah, yeah. He's not invisible. <laughs> Anyways, besides the point, <clears throat> welcome to the Oasis Podcast. We're glad to have you. We're excited about um, everything that today is going to hold. And so we got a really interesting conversation for you. Yeah. And it could get lengthy on us. So I want us to dive right in because there's no good funny mixer <laughs> question no. for this one. There, There isn't. No. So let's start with this. I'll ask this right off the top. Why? Why talk about the death penalty on the Oasis Podcast? I, because there are two sides of this thing that run within the church and Mm -hmm. as a christian podcast we want to do what we can to recognize that people have certain beliefs on both sides Mm -hmm. and so we look at it from a what's a for what's an against and be really intentional with like i think we'll say what we believe but also like how do you look at just this idea of like how do you look through the lens of jesus in every hard topic but also any even easy topic Mm -hmm. and this is a topic that i think we can look at scripture and look at jesus and say okay this is what he sees Mm -hmm. but it's a conversation that happens all the time i have conversations with my family about this all the time yeah so which is no we know these conversations are already happening and i think part of the hard part is it's a polarizing conversation Mm -hmm. that there's usually passionate people on both sides of the conversation and so what (laughs) shocker (laughs) breaking news what's that like to be passionate about something Uh but Gina, fill us in here. Why, why would the benefits of something like this outweigh what could be the strife? That there will yeah. be people who will listen to this and probably mm-hmm. not like what we the say. takes that we've yeah. Had, we have. Yeah. Well, this is the reality that, that every part of our being, of how we live life, should reflect Jesus and that Jesus should have an influence. God in general should have an influence into our lives, into all the opinions we hold, the convictions, the decisions that we make. And so even though this is a hard conversation, we shouldn't shy away from it and just not deal with it, but to even have our own understanding of why we believe what we believe and to be able to stand behind that with conviction and certainty um, when we find ourselves in hard conversations even, to know how to enter into it with grace as well. And I mean, part of it is... And someone's gonna else is gonna come up with the reference because I I'm trusting you guys. But where it's like to not do what is right is also sin. It can be disobedience, yeah. you know, to 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 woefully neglect. And so hard conversations. Yeah, that's Boondock Saints. That's like the beginning of the movie. <laughs> that's, that's, that's what the, I know what you're quoting. That. Hamilton. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but no, <laughs> but really, like for, good for us to shy. <laughs> no, that I'm kidding. <laughs> but that's what came to mind when you said that. Yeah, I get it. Sorry. But for us to not have hard conversations oh. because they're hard yeah. can be sinful. It can yeah. be yeah. not obedience. Yeah. And so this is actually something that's been it's on ignorant our... ignorant is what it is. I kind of can be. Well, and this is be. even a podcast that's been on our radar for like, what, a year? Yeah. Since yeah. almost the beginning, we were like, man, I feel like this is something we need to talk about. Because one, probably never preaching this message on a Sunday night. Yeah. It, it, it's just yeah. not, it's not necessarily the space for, sure. for it. You know, it's not mm-hmm. what we want to use that time for. But the podcast perfect opportunity yeah. for us to have a difficult conversation hopefully teach you guys something about what it means to, to have a biblical informed perspective on this but even so why why we've done this a couple times why do we keep wading mm-hmm. into politics this is a highly political conversation because politics are already a part of our life mm-hmm. that's just the reality of what it is and so it's more so figuring out as a follower of jesus how can i have these conversations that are already happening how do i recognize like 
at what point does should the state get involved or should the not state or should the state not get involved? And that's just to me a bad question. Mm-hmm. I think the question is more so like, especially surrounding the death penalty, it's not whether the state has an authority to do something. It's already recognizing the state has authority. Is that just or unjust? Like, is that right or wrong? And in those conversations, how do we as followers of Jesus not just take what a certain political view is, but again, go back to what does Scripture say? What does Jesus say? And how do we encourage, I think, having those conversations and whether they're hard or not? Yeah, there's a lot of different things that go into it. Let me take us on this quick tangent. Yes. What Should we even have a say? That Christians, even in South Dakota, we play a pretty small minority, like yeah. biblical, biblically literate, mature Christians who are passionately, passionately pursuing Jesus. We play a very small min- minority of even a state that's conservative, Midwest, <laughs> nice South Dakota. Like, why should we have a strong voice in the way the state acts or the way the national government acts? Or should we? I think, I think we should. It's just I think we've gone about it in the wrong way. Hmm. I think we assume to have control means stuff is going to happen rightly. Mm-hmm. It's to have the right person in the right political office to be in power means things are going to change. And that's not the right. You look at the history of even the church and how things have changed. It's been an underswelling and a groundswell of people who have just been following Jesus well and pursuing what Jesus pursued. Mm-hmm. And, and so it's how do we stand up for the oppressed, recognizing that everyone should have the right to live in a way that just— it just it looks at the Imago Day of all people, the image of God in every single person. And so when oppression is happening, when there's a lack of justice in the world, what what does Jesus say in those moments? And how do we go about making sure everyone it's going back to what you've talked about so much even in the last yeah, six months. Sure. It's even two weeks ago, uh, in the singleness message. You know, we want to know you're not alone because Jesus wanted you to know that. We don't know that you are worthy be, just to be loved and accepted because Jesus wants you to know that. You want to know you are lovable because Jesus wants you to know that. Yeah. And when that's not happening, I think that's where we need to have a strong voice. Mm-hmm. It's just I think we've gone about it in ways that are really unhealthy and really don't bring about change. Yeah. What's the goal of like a conversation like this? What do we hope people gain even from the very start? Like before you listen to the next however long this takes, what do we hope you walk away with? As like a, a win. What's a win for us? For Who's this? ready for a buzzword? Uh-oh. Deconstruction. I'm not <laughs> kidding. I think there's something that can be really healthy about recognizing I'm coming into as a follower of Jesus at 19. I already have beliefs about things. Mm-hmm. Even though I didn't have, I didn't think I had beliefs. I had a belief about God. I had a belief about people. I had a, and then I come into following Jesus with certain aspects of what I believe, or certain political thoughts or theological argument, whatever it is. And it's in that I had to deconstruct what I had believed and recognize and see, okay, what does Jesus have to say about this? Because before I'd never talked to him about it. I've never read about it. I never Mm -hmm. had a conversation about it. And maybe those line up with what I believed and maybe they don't. And so really what we want to do is how do we have a a conversation about a hard topic, give you information and and one of the hugest reasons we want to start this podcast, like how do we get not just more content out, like more views on something. It's we believe that having a voice in certain areas and topics and we can discuss well into because you got three people and whoever those three people are who love jesus who love what god tells us to do who love people and we just want to talk about those things and maybe something in here will be different than you've ever heard before maybe we'll make an argument or have a saying or 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 talk to you about a scripture that we interpret in a certain way that's the way you've never heard it Mm -hmm. that's an aspect of deconstruction in a healthy way i think that's Mm -hmm. good yeah for sure and the way we're going to do this is we're going to actually present both sides and so the first one we're going to present is people who would probably be for the death penalty. And we're going to attack it mostly from what, what we hear as yeah. their biblical argument or their uh, main points. 
And then we're going to take another spin and we're going to look at it from the other side that uh, the people who are, are against the death penalty. And we're going to look at the Bible. We're going to look at scripture. We're going to look at the example of Jesus. And we're going to talk through those things. Then in the end, we're going to kind of point you in a direction of what we hope we do going forward as Christians, the way we mm-hmm. should live and act and the way we should respond to something like this. You guys ready? Yeah. I think so. Let's do it. Cool. <laughs> you want me to go f- stat first? Sure. Okay. Yeah, so <clears throat> the first statistic for people who are usually for the death penalty. And you are think- you might be sitting there thinking, seriously, there's someone for the death penalty? Well, actually, Pew, which is a, a massive research uh, survey company, in 2015 did a study, and they showed that worldwide support for the death penalty was falling, that there was less and less people worldwide in- than in previous years who overall supported the death penalty. But yet, still, a majority of what they say is white, Protestants, and Catholics continue to be in favor of it. Now, the reason we find that I find that statistic so intriguing is because the majority of people we minister to yes. in our context and uh, where we're at here in Brookings, South Dakota, mm-hmm. are white, Protestants, and Catholics. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so for many of you listening, you're going to fit this demographic. And Pew is telling me this is one of the, the, the a world-renowned source is telling us that through surveys, they've seen that the majority of us listening still agree with the death penalty. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm here to have a conversation. Is that still true and why? But what what are these principles that that, that majority that they're talking about? And this isn't the, the – yeah, that majority that they're talking about, what are they arguing for? Why would they say let's, – let's go blanket statement. This is yep. what, what the main – So you is. look at believing that Scripture is God-breathed. So you look at the whole of Scripture, and so they'll take Scripture and use this as an argument, one of those Scriptures being Genesis 9. Um, and 5, 6 says, And for your lifeblood I will surely demand an accounting. I will demand an accounting from every animal and from each human being too. I will demand an accounting for the life of another human being. And then you get the phrasing in Scripture um, three different times, I believe, in the Old Testament. It says eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, life for a life. One other time it says um, a life should be accounted for when another one is taken. And so they'll use that as scripture saying, okay, when things happen in our world, when a life is taken, then a, there should be restitution, there should be justice, there should be payment. Yeah. So really what they're saying is we, and then it's my interpretation, help me, is they value life so yeah. much yes. that it's made in the image of God, that all humanity, and they this value, back They value innocent life. Innocent life, that much. Yeah, good point. Mm-hmm. That. When life is taken, mm-hmm. restitution, justice mm-hmm. for that becomes the death penalty. Yes. Yeah. So where does that come from? Like, why why do we take this Old Testament text, Genesis 9, one of the first nine chapters of the Bible? Like, is that outdated? What Really, why is that still bec- being held as the precedent for the death penalty? Uh, the main reason is they all say it's a pre-Mosaic law. Mm-hmm. And so before... Moses came into action, Genesis, which would be Genesis 9. Uh, we're told Moses wrote the entire first five books, uh, the Torah, of, of the Bible. But this is a law, Genesis, all the way up through, it'd be into Exodus before Moses actually comes into play. Uh, so being a pre-Mosaic law would argue, or this is the argument made, is that it's a universal application. It's a universal law. It's one that shouldn't be discounted even with the coming of Jesus. Yeah. Mm. Because a lot of people will point towards the New Testament and they'll say, well, Jesus came not to abolish the law, to fulfill it. And he put it almost in a backseat. Like it's not unimportant, but it's definitely not the driver. And so even if you take that argument, you can say, well, Genesis 9 existed before the law. And so it it exists outside of the constructs of what Jesus came to fulfill. But even then, remove that argument, people will look just at the law of Moses and they'll see, okay, Moses consistently said, if you murder 
eye for an eye, hand for mm-hmm. a hand, tooth for a tooth. And so the law of Moses seems to point towards this direction that the death penalty is okay. What do we think about like Romans 13? Let's look a little bit in the New Testament. What is Romans 13 used to explain what it means to support we, the death penalty? What I love about this, especially with Romans 13, is just the idea of governing authorities, right? And we just did a series on this at Grace Point which I do love, but an argument can, will be made for those who are for the death penalty that Paul is saying to submit to, to government authorities, um, to submit to the laws that have been in place. Uh, this is the argument that's used. Uh, and so to submit is to say that there are laws in place in that in your local, in your regional, in your state, whatever it may be, that are there. And so you need to submit to the laws that are in place in those moments. Yeah. And so otherwise, when you continue off of that, I think there's an argument that I mean, John Calvin, and you said Martin Luther, uh, Martin Luther yeah. also went mm-hmm. on. So these two huge pillars of, of faith as we look back through Christian history. John Calvin is quoted saying, Christian forgiveness does not mean we need to overturn established laws. Mm-hmm. And so people will use that as an argument that these pillars of the faith, they didn't think it was necessary for because of our faith in Jesus to come in and start to overturn the laws of the government. Yeah. And they would point towards Romans 13 as a really good backing for that. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, what else? What other arguments? And even we can move away from a little bit of like a biblical argument for why they would say the death penalty is a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, some people just hold the belief that when there's a reality of death as a punishment for something, that repentance is easier to step into. So if the fear of death as the punishment for your sin or your crime or whatever should lead you to a place of repentance, and so that, um, that deterrence value, that threat of punishment will actually lead to a spiritual life. Like, don't do yeah. this because otherwise this will happen. Yeah. Like, yeah. They, which logically makes perfect sense. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I do that, unfortunately, with my kids, not <laughs> with a death penalty. Uh, well. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, but that's why I just like, if you do this, then you're going to get ha- the consequence, right? Yeah. The, the, mm-hmm. it's, yeah, cause and effect of life. So, yeah. 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 Is there anything else we want to add there? Or should we just keep, keep rolling? I like you. I think you should talk about the physical versus spiritual aspect, right? At the very end, with those who've been convicted. Yeah, I so see, it's an argument that it has been made. Yeah, I, I see this argument that's been made a handful of times. That, and it's probably more than a handful. That's just a saying I'm using. <laughs> but they'll say people who are convicted of the death penalty, they spend a significant period of time on death row. Like it's not like Bing Bang, like it just happens. Like <laughs> Bing Bang Boom. There, there is a period of time where they exist on death row, where they're in jail. There's a lot of um, what's the word, uh, the the court thing where they get to redo not redo the case but petition file, oh. file a um dang wow come on oh no you guys are gonna it's gonna come yep, to you but you get to. to file this thing and then you get to have not necessarily retrials but you have other people other jurors other judges look at it and so through that period of time i've heard christians have the take that the, the threat of death is so eminent like too often we live life without a sense of urgency, that we live life that we have all the time in the world, that there's always a tomorrow, and none of us are promised that. And so people on death row even feel that even greater because literally they could see the date that their life will end. And so the reality that their physical life is near its end pushes them towards a spiritual conclusion that, hey, I have to start thinking about that which is after this. Appeal. Appeal, yes. Damn. They file a bunch of appeals. Oh, man. Sorry. And so if... if I have to think and ponder this question of what happens to me after 
this this date what happened because it's there yes that some people are more prone towards repentance Mm -hmm. that because they're asking the big big questions because they're wrestling with life and death and so they're valuing the spiritual life the eternal more than the physical Mm -hmm. because they're saying hey i'm willing to have that person be on death row and for their physical life to be taken because there's a greater chance a greater probability which i don't know if there's statistical evidence there's biblical evidence for it you could make an argument for i should say with the thief on the cross yeah like you can make that argument yes exactly that's a great a great point but that will push them towards maybe a greater chance of repentance which will save their soul even though Mm. their body perishes Mm -hmm. and so that's a final kind of point we'll put there boom let's change the the topic let's let's look a little bit (laughs) (laughs) what is the against and clearly if you haven't picked up now we're going to sit a little bit more in this camp and by a little bit i'm going to say a lot of it and we we feel that this is where the the scripture leads us the life of jesus the character of god leads it leads us and so take I'm, that with, yeah. well, with can what I, it is too. and i'm just going to start a little bit with if I, when I, and i've had these conversations multiple times with people mm-hmm. and i actually wrote a paper one of my major projects in seminary was around the death penalty in my intro to ethics class and i had a thought going into seminary i was pro death penalty going into seminary mm. just mm. based off what i known a lot of it was yeah, just conversation I had. But I had familiar things. Man. Legitimately, though, it was like, okay, yeah. how do I take off the lenses that I've had for decades and for mm-hmm. years mm-hmm. and try to, and this is what's difficult, even about deconstruction in any ways, like, I just, I'm still coming in with my lenses, yeah. with my experiences, with my reasoning, with my interpretation of scripture. So, so I'm like, okay, how do I just take, try to take those off as best as possible and look at it from voices who are different me, from voices that are the same, from voices who I trust and voices maybe I don't trust because I don't know them well, but still like, okay, receive well in that. Mm-hmm. And just literally as best as I can, Jesus, what do you say? Mm-hmm. And so when I've had these conversations, I'll look at arguments that have been for. So I'm going to go, if this is okay with you, just yeah. even in go the ahead. Genesis 9 text. Yeah, go ahead. So when they'll say Genesis 9, even the whole, the three different scriptures that are eye for eye, tooth for tooth, uh, life for life, life for life. And you'll look at it and you'll see Jesus literally quotes an aspect of that scripture in Matthew 26. Um, and what we would believe is Jesus, and this is just what he does even on Sermon on the Mount, he'll take an Old Testament text and then he teaches on it. And what he's doing is he's not changing it. He's not saying Old Testament was wrong. He's coming to recognize and help us understand, here's now how you need to live and here's how I've come to fulfill what has been said. Yeah. Because the kingdom of God is at hand. Because when I leave, you will have a helper, and that's the Holy Spirit. So now you get to live different lives, and you will be able to. And so, quotes it, Peter, cuts off the ear, right? Classic. <laughs> Crazy. Super scene. aggressive. Yeah. I can't like, wait for I the, can't imagine. I can't How wait. he didn't die on sight, even. I can't wait for the chosen to oh, act yeah. that one out. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> I, caveat, I love the chosen, but it's fun to make fun of Christian media. Yeah. So, continuing. <laughs> I believe that when, so what happens is Jesus then looks to Peter, tells him to put the sword away because he says, those who live by the sword die by the sword. And as an interpret, not even interpretation, it's a quote from the Old Testament in the context of eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. And then he goes on and he goes on to say, um, uh, how can I say this? He says, he interprets that teaching not as a command that every sword user should be given the death penalty, that everyone who uses a sword should be given a death penalty, but as a proverb potentially, and most likely, that predicts the consequence of relying on the sword, mm-hmm. of literally living by the sword. It's like, if you are one who lives by the sword, who needs to use something to kill another person because of a specific act, most likely, what he's saying is, 
you're probably going to die by the sword. So in other words, as it talks about in Genesis, it's not a command of the death penalty, but it gives wise advice based on a likely consequence of an action. If you kill someone, you most likely will end up being killed. And then the argument of the law of Moses. Yeah. Oh, it's a, it's a, it's pre-law, and so it's universal, it should be taken. The problem with that is the death penalty is associated with a lot of other things in the Old Testament that we wouldn't advocate for today if you're pro-death penalty. So they would say, well, if you break the Sabbath, you should be killed. killed. If you disrespect your parents, killed. If you kidnap, killed. If you commit adultery, death penalty, which we see with the woman uh, caught in adultery. Yeah. If you oppress the weak, and there's multiple, right? Continue, yeah, continue. Goes on, yeah. So there's proponents of the death penalty who then will use this Genesis text, but then overlook all those other ones. Yeah. Overlook all the other, well, we don't associate with if you, disre- like, I'm disrespecting my parents. My kids have disrespected me. <laughs> like, I don't think they should be killed for it. Mm-hmm. And I would say Jesus doesn't think they should be killed for it. And even you look at the Romans 13 text. The context of the Romans 13 te- text is not death penalty text. It's not a death penalty like this, they're specific all it's not all laws mm-hmm. paul is talking about specific laws he's talking about payer taxes he's talking about um this idea of, of what is do everything you can romans 12 18 19 do everything you can within you as, as long as it's you're able to mm-hmm. to live at peace with everyone that's pretty against uh the death penalty um and so even here there's been german scholars who concluded that paul was not teaching about the death penalty but was urging his readers to pay their taxes and not to participate in a rebellion against nero's new tax nothing to do with death penalty nothing to do with overall laws so just taking some of these things in the context of really what is the scripture saying and what does jesus say and to maybe even add on to that as a last point when we look at that pew study from 2015 i struggle with the word majority a lot of times Mm. because i can settle into like a group think mentality like everyone oh everyone all protestant white christians all the people who look like act like think like me who believe what i believe believe this and so i must now also believe that but here sitting at the table we've got a couple of white american last time i checked i'm very white (laughs) who disagree and so i think challenging a little bit of what is the group think mentality like yes in this 2015 study there could have been 51 percent of Mm -hmm. people we don't know what majority means and they Mm -hmm. didn't give that evidence or that 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 statistic but or even with that when it says white protestant and catholic it's like the pope is white catholic the recent pope right now Mm -hmm. and he has come out saying and and advocating that we would abolish the death penalty here in america so it's like even to that argument Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and it's just like even if okay the circle you roll in the friends you're around the people your your family members they might think one thing and it's okay to disagree especially when we feel like the scripture and god's character and how we're supposed to live leads a different way but group Mm -hmm. think peer pressure the 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 people we're around oh man it can be really hard to go against that yeah so then let's give people a little bit of evidence or like example for why we would go against the death penalty go ahead all right i'll start, start. Us <laughs> i think one of the beautiful parts of it is this idea that the new testament precedents so what jesus said did what paul wrote the way they were acting in light of the cross supersedes the old testament law and supersede is not this word that says abolish. It's not this word that says makes invalid. It's to put in, in, in a correct priority. And so the teachings of Jesus, yes, come first and foremost before the Old Testament law. And so the things that say, like eye for an eye, teeth for teeth, the, or, <clears throat> the way Jesus taught forgiveness and, and reluctance to act in, in violence, the way he taught justice and mercy was different. And so now that becomes our new precedent. It's the new priority in which we live. And so Deuteronomy 21 is a perfect example. <clears throat> it says, 
Israel was, it talks about how Israel was called to be a holy nation. And then through those books of the Old Testament that talk explicitly about the law, say the way they were called to be a holy nation, nation was one through action. That these laws, 613, including these ones that say eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, these kind of things, the Mosaic law, they told them a way to live mm -hmm. that would make them holy, that would set them apart, that would help them have a relationship with God. However, they never were able to do that. Mm -hmm. And so to supplement that, they had sacrifice, yeah. where they would sacrifice animals, and they would do these rituals, and there was priests, and there was the tabernacle, and there was the temple. And so there's, there's all of these things that they would do to try and establish themselves as holy, because that's what they were called to be. Yet, in light of all that, Christ's death fulfills the requirement for that blood for blood. Yeah. It fulfills the requirement for perfect action. It removes the need for sacrificial system of animals. And the, a beautiful picture of that is in Hebrews 9. Yeah. So starting in verse 11, I'm going to read you a little text. It says, But when Christ came as the high priest of all the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands. That is to say, it is not a part of creation. He did not enter by means of blood of goats or calves, but he entered the most holy place once and for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. The blood of the goats and the bulls and the ashes of the heifer sprinkled on those who were ceremonially unclean, sanctified them so that they were outwardly clean. But how much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, can he cleanse us of our consciousness through acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? And this is just telling you, it's painting you this picture of this Old Testament system that they had, that Christ has come not to necessarily abolish and say that that is bad, but to, to, to change it and say, I am this final sacrifice by my blood. Now the things that you have worked so hard to be cleansed, they are cleansed. The things that lead, lead to death, now you can turn in repentance and come back to me and you can serve the living God. It really shows the crucifixion, the cross, the death and resurrection of Jesus. It changed everything changed things. Yeah. And so the way we go about dealing <clears throat> with hurt and sin and wrong and death here in life right now needs to change because Jesus has taught us a new way. Well, not, and even going with that, the idea of his Sermon on the Mount, when he quotes eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, when he's talking about what does revenge look like, contextually in the Old Testament, when those verses were stated and when those commands were given, commands were given, it was what was happening at the time is if I killed Brennan, or Brennan's Dude, wife. Are you serious? Just stop. If I killed Brennan's wife and his family, accident or purposefully, what was happening at the time was Brennan would then come kill me, my my family, my parents, everyone associated with me would take my farm or kill my animals. And so it wasn't just a equality equality thing. What Moses was doing and what God was trying to do here is he was trying to to have less violence. Yeah. He was trying to have less death. So he's saying, listen, eye for an eye, tooth for two, stop there. It's not go further. Yeah. It's not get retribution and revenge and more. It's stop. And then Jesus takes it a step further, which is beautiful. So when he quotes the passage, he doesn't say eye for an eye, tooth for two, life for a life. He stops at eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. Tooth, tooth for a tooth. Tooth <laughs> for a tooth. And he does it intentionally. And then he says, and he says, but I say, do not resist an evil person. Matthew, this is Matthew 5, uh, verse 32 through 38. But I say, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek. And that me also means a whole other thing. Yeah. Um, if you're sued in court, your shirt's tailored, but you give, give your give a, your coat too. If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry your two miles. Get to those who ask and don't turn away from those who want to borrow. And so what Jesus is doing here is he's going completely against, one, 
the argument to be for the death penalty or for a retribution of a life taken for another life. And he's taking it even a step further. It's, it's Jesus opposed taking a life as retribution. If life for life literally is understood as justifying or requiring the death penalty, Jesus opposes it, mm-hmm. according to this scripture and how he teaches. Well, let's talk about like the beautiful example of John 8. Oh, yeah. Like <clears throat> the adulterous woman. I don't know what's going on. With, like, I just like can't even... <laughs> If you're watching on the video, you see I clear my throat. But on, on the podcast, maybe you didn't hear it, so I didn't have to bring it up, but it's too late now. <laughs> so, John 8, beautiful text where Jesus encounters the adulterous woman, and they're about to stone her. And mm-hmm. in the midst of it, Jesus says that, that the person without sin throw yeah. the first stone. Which was very intentional phrasing, by the way. Yes. And so, slowly and surely, and it says starting with the eldest to the youngest, mm-hmm. they start to leave. And the beauty of that is there's wisdom in the elders mm-hmm. that remembered all that they've, done, they've wrong, done wrong in their life. And sometimes us younger people, us, <laughs> us Gen Zs of the Bible. I'm a millennial. <laughs> we, t- it takes us a little longer to process yeah. and to get to that same wisdom. But eventually they put their stones down too. And the whole time Jesus is drawn in, in the sand, he's just like chilling, just kind of hanging out. <laughs> and in the end, he doesn't throw the stone either. <laughs> Even though he is without yeah. sin. He could have thrown the stone yep. by his by, own standard. By law. By law. By, and law. by his own standard, mm-hmm. he could have thrown the own, his own yep. stone. And, but he doesn't. And he, but he doesn't just tell the, the woman she's forgiven and then go and do whatever. He says, your sins are forgiven. Now go and sin no more. Mm-hmm. And there's this beautiful picture of what it means to offer justice and what it means to, to hold people accountable, yep. to mm-hmm. call them to something higher, mm-hmm. but to not use what was the, the punishment of that time, what would have been legally... Mm-hmm fine for him yeah. to do because if jesus approaches and he says something like god's mercy and how god how god desires for us to act even pre-fall and, and now with the kingdom of god at hand if he says something along the lines like god's mercy forbids the death penalty they could have killed him mm. they could have charged him mm-hmm. because he would be going against what the law says so he intentionally phrased jesus is intentional there's a reason he left out life for a life in teaching in matthew 5 there's a reason he said what he said here well so I, good. I think another part of it that could be really cool is like one they did kill Jesus, and while they're it, killing him, he says, forgive them. And it was an unjust death, technically, but we won't get there. But <laughs> And then continuing, like, think about Paul. Paul is responsible yeah. for mm-hmm. killing Christians. Yeah. He says that himself. He persecuted the church. He was the one who held the cloaks as they stoned the first martyr. And so he is one who has blood on his hands, but yet through the redemption story, the, the church, the bride of Christ, which was hurt by the hand of Paul, the redemption story is Paul becomes the one who will lead the New Testament church, who will lead the, the gospel into all of these unsaved people mm-hmm. groups. Yeah. And that's only one example of mercy. Yeah. If you flip back to the Old Testament where this Mosaic law existed, where, where this practice was supposed to be upheld, you have Cain right away. Genesis 4. He talk, m- about, talk about pre-Mosaic law. Oh, serious. <laughs> that man killed his brother in cold blood in the field. For pretty much no good reason. I mean, yeah. debated acceptance. He had an, he had he had some insecurities. He had his hurt. He had his feelings hurt. Yeah, and he kills his brother, cold blood, and God doesn't kill him. He doesn't spite him. He gives him a punishment, and he now must wander the earth. And there's consequences for that. He wanted to die. Yes, like he wanted he did, to die. Or go on, Moses. Yeah. How many of us know Moses was a cold blooded killer? I know who Moses is. But I, I like when you read that scripture when it says Moses looked looked both ways he looked oh, around yeah. and then he killed the Egyptian yeah. like it wasn't like oh I think one of the the cartoon movies paints it where like he accidentally <laughs> knocks the guy off the you guys know what I'm talking about no. yeah it's Prince like of Egypt. Egypt. Is it Prince of Egypt I don't the one seen it. I don't know if it's Prince I haven't of Egypt. watched it in a long time is it good Shut yeah up. it's a good one okay. but there's like a, a depiction that got into my head 
that showed <gasps> Moses like, oh, he accidentally yeah. bumps the Egyptian Darn and he it. falls off and he and he dies. But no, like the scripture shows Moses looked both ways. He he was trying to make sure nobody would see, and then he murdered some guy. And then God uses Moses in a powerful way in a redemptive story to save the people of Israel. Not only that, David, as he sleeps with Bathsheba, he calls in Uriah, he tries to clean up his mistake, it doesn't work, and he takes Mariah, in, or Uriah, and he, or Mariah, no, it's not actually Mariah. He takes Uriah and he sends him to the front lines. Not on accident, he hoped he would die. He knew he would. Yes, he murdered him. And then the prophet comes and he says, this is what you've done. And David finally, it clicks yeah. for him and he, and he conviction. starts conviction and there's this repentance and David becomes the king after God's own heart. And so there's this beauty in the Old Testament that these messed up people, these people who killed other people, not on accident, on purpose, still find the justice and mercy of God all the while, while the Mosaic law is in, in full fledge. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that's pretty crazy. Crazy cool. <laughs> crazy cool. What else are we thinking? Anything else you guys need to add here? Where are we Wait, where? Yeah, I like Old Testament law had a reluctance to impose capital punishment. And I think a lot of that has to do with the reality of when the commands were given, when some of these laws were given, it was God trying to provide for his people a way to continue to live a life of less violence and less death because he desired better for them. And so you have, if there's no circumstantial, uh, no circumstantial evidence was allowed, you had to have legit proof that, that, someone had murdered another person um you had to have two witnesses compassion was even necessary and in the ruler and there's nowhere in the old testament that we see an actual case where um the death penalty has happened for a life for a life Mm. there's no example in it like there whether death penalty for different reasons different offenses for all the offenses and and reasons we listed of what the old testament says it doesn't get carried out by an israeli criminal law system you don't see it in the old testament happening doesn't mean it didn't but I think it's just a point towards the desire is not more death mm-hmm. and more violence. Yeah, no, that's good. Let's move and let's have a couple of points that exist outside of a biblical argument. Mm-hmm. We did that for the other the other argument, so we can do it for this one for against too. What are some of the things people will point to as another reason beyond all of what we just said of biblical evidence, character of God, those kind of things? Mm-hmm. What What is the biblical evidence here? Non-biblical. A non-biblical evidence here. Sorry. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, race is a huge contributing factor and back to, I mean, I'm just going to read this. I'm sorry. I think I, again, I'm super passionate about this. I think it's really important for us to understand our history as a nation and understand eventually like how those things have impacted us and do impact us today because they just, they still do. And so how do we in that take the lens of Jesus who is not an American? What? Didn't know if you knew that. (laughs) Who also was definitely not white. Oh my, this is earth shattering. (laughs) (laughs) But race is a contributing factor and the death penalty has been unfairly applied to African-Americans throughout the history of our nation. Um, And it starts with like, I think you can make a strong case that racial discrimination is associated with the death penalty. And you go back to this idea of lynching, of of, of, uh, states passing uh, Jim Crow segregation because, and they would use arguments of demonic possession with African-Americans. Like it's just, there's a lot of different aspects. Um, and then although lynching even has greatly diminished as a accepted practice, which, cause we don't see it a lot. Um, there's still the increased use of death penalty in the post-World War II years, uh, which often follow quick trials. Uh, they take its place and unsurprisingly it's in states where slavery was at its highest peak and highest point. And it's just yeah. real. The increased use of the death penalty in these today and now, um, they just still, 
they use race, unfortunately, as a contributing factor. You can look at, like, there's a trial that happened, or multiple trial, or multiple instances uh, in, I think, between 1980, not 1987, yeah, 1987 and, like, 1993, of, uh, I think, 14 different white people who had killed another person that none of them got the death penalty. And there's a case specifically that happened in the South of a black person killing another white person and who'd gotten the death penalty. Like, there's just, there's... We see it today. Yeah. Black Lives Matter started in 2014. Mm-hmm. It's the reason it did. And so there's there's continual race as a contributing factor for our entire judicial system, but specifically with the death penalty. Yeah, and, and very rarely will I, or probably many of you listening, go read a bunch of books or legal documents or history stuff. But you might go watch a movie. And mm-hmm. if you're going to go watch a movie, Just Mercy is a great movie that kind of paints a, a little portion of what this looks like and how it, it's been used in our in our country. And I get it's a movie and some of you are going to be like, oh, it's not all completely true. They got some facts wrong. Maybe they did. But overall, it paints a good picture of what it, it what it is like for some people and historically in a compelling story way tells mm-hmm. tells us what we can, what's been experienced. And so go check that out if you're ever looking for something. Otherwise, one of the things that I feel we can push for as Christians when it comes to the to criminal, like criminals, our criminal yeah, system. It's not like we're advocating for no consequence yes. for yeah. action. Is the modern jailing system is supposed to be set up to protect society from people who are criminals, from people who do things that are wrong. However, we use that language supposed to very, very Loosely. carefully because we recognize that the jailing system is not what it needs to be. Like, you can watch the 13th, you can watch a thousand other documentaries, you can read books, you can see, like, statistics, you can look at all of the organizations that exist to help with jail reform. That it's just, it's, it's, a, it's a broken system. But the answer to that is not the death penalty. Right. That we've seen time and time again that that's just not the reality. So what if, as Christians, we put our emphasis and our heart and our passion into jail reform that mm-hmm. says, hey, we love, like, these, this group of people that yeah they've made mistakes they're broken like we all are yeah. they're mm-hmm. all affected by sin and they maybe did something that ended them up in a an incarceration and i haven't ever done that but they did that doesn't mean they're they're too far from god's grace mm-hmm. that yeah. doesn't mean they don't deserve our resources that doesn't mean they don't deserve help and treatment that doesn't mean they don't deserve jobs and opportunities post and so what does it look like to go into and start to learn and educate and, and advocate for people who have gone through the incarcerated system yeah. so that they can find the healing and experience and joy and love that Jesus Christ only can offer? Yep. And, and I don't want it to come across as like we're being insensitive to families who have experienced literally another person in the family being murdered because mm-hmm. that is real. And a lot of an argument I've heard is the death penalty gives closure to that family. Mm. Mm. The reality is that it doesn't because it doesn't change the fact that they lost someone. Yeah. Yeah. It just it just doesn't. Um, and there's stories we can talk about this, but I've heard, well, because, and one of those reasons is, is that there's such an elongated process for the death penalty because you have appeals and you have, I mean, those who have been convicted, who've been getting the, given the sentencing, who don't want to die. And yeah. so, like, it just gets dragged on, and, and the family has to come, and they have to come to the court, and they have to come to the appeal trials, mm-hmm. and they have to continue to go. So it just, it's, they're continually being reminded of the fact that they lost someone too early, mm-hmm. and that's real, and that sucks. But then with that, there's been an, advo- an advocation on the side of pro-death penalty, well, we need to quick and speed up the trials. And then the biggest problem with that is what you end up happening is people getting killed and being in the death penalty who are wrongly convicted. Yeah. And so there's just, it's not a, a great way. To go about it, and I don't think it gives full closure to families. And speeding up the process won't help because you can't do the due process that is should 
allow the American judicial system to, to do what it should do. Well, I think you even open up a can of worms there, which is a good can of worms to open. But it's the idea that justice and retribution mm. is God's. Yeah, Roman, against the context of Romans 13. Oh, first and foremost, and as Romans much 12. as we want revenge, yeah. as much as we want healing and closure, we have to rely back on our Heavenly Father yeah. who promises us those things come eternity. Mm. That there is consequences for right and wrong. There is a final judgment. There are these things that He promises to do. We just have to sit back and trust Him which I know is incredibly hard to do. But some of those cases that Ben was talking about, so one of the things we would advocate for you to do is when it comes to the death penalty towards murder or, or any kind of really harm, hateful crime, yes, we say there, there needs to be consequences. There needs to be things that people will, will have to go through and, and systems they'll have to work through. But also rest on this, Ezekiel thirty three eleven says, as sure as I live, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they turn from their ways and that they live. That there is this invitation into repentance, invitation into forgiveness that the gospel is founded in. And so those stories you were talking about, there's one where Officer Richard Hudson, or Houston, he, he was murdered in, uh, I th- think, Texas. You guys can correct, someone can correct me if I'm wrong. But he was murdered and his daughter stood up at his, giving a eulogy at his funeral. And when she stood up there, you would think she'd be full of bitterness and hate and anger, but she doesn't. She actually preaches the gospel. She invites repentance and forgiveness. And that video goes viral because the gospel and forgiveness is a viral message. It is something that is foolishness to those who are suffering. It is the power of the cross. And so that is so incredible, but it's not the only time it happens. And so Brant Brant Jean, his brother was killed by an officer in Dallas. And we see this viral video go crazy because he starts to preach the gospel as he's standing there to testify in court. And he walks over and he gives a hug to the person who had murdered his brother. And that is the gospel. That's the beauty of the healing we're meant to experience in Christ. Now, that's not revenge. That's something better than revenge. That's the healing that God desires for you. And it's what we should continue to push into. So, again, not easy. Yeah. Definitely not easy. For sure. But the way of the cross is not easy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes you got to take that hard road. Last question I want to ask, and then we'll, we'll wrap yeah. up. What role does this conversation or a conversation like this play in our spiritual journey? Yeah, I think it's number one I go to, it's ultimately a, a life issue. Is, is what, how do you determine what life is, what it should be or shouldn't be? And in every aspect, in every hard conversation or easy conversation, in every topic, it's how do I lay aside the things that I believe for a long time? The, the, again, whether it's, it could be any topic, how do I lay my biases aside, mm-hmm. whether they're right or wrong in the moment, but lay them aside and look at it from a kingdom focus and a Jesus lens That's and say, good. what does Jesus say about these, the, not just this thing, all things mm-hmm. and having difficult conversations. I I love my family to death. Like I just do. I disagree with them on this topic. And we've gotten some heated arguments and we still love each other. Yeah. And we absolutely still love each other. And I don't question my family's faith and their love for Jesus. I think there's just things in that they believe that I just don't believe in. And another thing too with that is also like biblical justice is real. It does include some aspects of punishment for wrongdoing. As Brennan said, vengeance in and of itself is not ours, it's God's. But also... While there is a retributive, retributive like element 
to justice and consequence of life on earth, the biblical focus is on deliverance. Yeah. It is on forgiveness. It's on redemption and it's on reconciliation. And I think, and on re- even, re- not even that, but also it's not just, hey, you're forgiven. It's also restoration back into community. Yeah. Easier said than experienced. That's just the reality. Like I, us, knowing there's people who've been hurt, betrayed, I don't know about specifically with death, but potentially and maybe mm-hmm. that like you're going through stuff. And so just your pain is real. Your hurt is real. God is not left. It's just how can we do what we can to look at, man, the way that Jesus would operate and live and how he desires for us to know that we can because of the power of the Holy Spirit. That's good. Mm-hmm. Sweet. I know this was a bit of a heavier topic, um, not something that we could potentially put like a really light spin on. <laughs> yeah. You know, there was no fun mixer question. There was very few jokes throughout the whole thing, but it is such an important conversation and one you can can continue to have with those who are in your circle, those that you trust and that maybe yeah. disagree with you. And so if you have further questions, feel free to hit us up. Like, we can continue this conversation if you disagree with something we said or if you just want more clarity. We want to have this conversation. Yeah, like, really. It's, and not because I want to prove you wrong and have an argument. I think it's healthy to have difficult conversations. Yeah. It just is. Yeah, and good. where we disagree, because I think it edifies us both as followers of Jesus. But otherwise, we're getting long. So we peace <laughs> out. Thank you for tuning in. We hope you learned something, and we hope you continue to be able to follow and love God as best as you can through conversations like this. So peace out. We love you. Bye.